0: Stay Live. I'm Graham Lynch. Welcome to the show. Today, uh, we're going to be covering lots and lots of stories. Um, we're going to be looking at what on earth is happening with Opticom and, and the, the crazy bidding war that's broken out there. Uh, we're, we're going to um, look at some very interesting comments from the chair of Telstra, who is musing on changes to how executive pay is calculated. We'll be looking at some efforts by MBNCO to encourage RSPs to migrate customers up the speed tier chain. And we'll also be talking with our Hong Kong correspondent, Tony Chan, about a interesting new competitor from China uh, in the Leosat market, uh, hoping to take on companies such as SpaceX and Amazon and OneWeb. But first up, uh, there was some, uh, I guess, a big surprise in the inbox on uh, Friday, October 16 when we learned that uh, Aussie Broadband um, had uh, done all its paperwork early and would be listing its shares from 11 o'clock that day. Um, It was originally um, uh, anticipated that this wouldn't happen until uh, later on in October. So we've got Phil Britt, the Managing Director of Aussie Broadband, on the line to tell us what happened.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it uh, caught uh, everyone out, I think, because the customer offer closed in, I think it was 75 minutes, we um, were able to bring the whole timeline forward because everyone settled up nice and quickly. And, yeah.
0: Well, um, my first question is, you know, you've know, you had a long journey to get here. Um, you've been in the industry for many years and, and you're in the milestone of the development of a business. Listing on, on the national stock market is obviously a big one. So how do you feel today?
1: Look, I'm, I'm just overjoyed that we've managed to get here it's um I, I never would have thought when we started 17 years ago that it would be be at this point and when we made the decision sort of 18 months ago um that uh this was going to be the next part of uh, uh well, i guess our next chapter um it's um it's taken an awful lot to get here and, uh, and uh, an awful lot of good people to help us get here so
0: okay now you've raised um dollars i take it yep um, what exactly do you intend to use that capital for?
1: So about $26.5 of it will go into um, uh, the our fibre optic fibre project. Uh, so our dark fibre project's primarily focused around connecting to NBN poise. And so that's to allow us to, um, I guess, bypass the other carriers um, to those. So we, we plan to get to 76 NBN poise uh, directly on our own fibre. Um Around $10 million will go into um, additional marketing and, and working capital. And then the balance is uh, basically paying for the raise.
0: Right. Okay. Now, um, reading through the prospectus, you're, you're forecasting what appears on the surface to be incredibly strong growth over the next year or two. You know, we're talking kind of doubling every year type growth. Yep. Uh, what, what's what's the secret sauce in the company that gives you the confidence that you can do that, you know, to obviously grow much faster than the industry overall and, and, and to obviously dramatically take market share from other operators? What what, what do you think is your secret formula for, for being able to achieve that goal?
1: Look, I think, honestly, the secret formula is the the team and specifically um, the way that they interact with our customers. Um we don't have a uh, prescribed formula um, that they interact with customers and um, they're, they're free to, um, there's no scripts, they're free to interact how they like um, and the only instruction is is that uh, they treat our customers as you'd want to be treated yourself and and that's been the fundamental part. The, I guess the other component is a, um, an absolute stunning network that does what it says on the box. It, it runs at the speeds that uh, if we're there. We deliver what we promise, and um, and if we stuff up, we we're very straight with our customers and, and tell it as it is. So, I think it's it's basically we've got this combination of um, uh, really focused uh, on the customer combined with um, the ability to uh, to deliver a great network, and we're not aiming to be the cheapest in the market or anything like that, and it, it resonates with customers.
0: Um, now, what, I, I talk to a lot of analysts and, and a lot of CEOs and, and one, one of the common themes of, of what they say is that there's, actually, there's a lack of quality telco stocks out there to invest in. You've obviously, be aware of the bidding frenzy between, uh, between Unity and Aware for Opticom right now. And I, I guess that's emblematic of that, you know, that there's not a lot of good telco stocks out there. Um, do you think that the listing of Aussie broadband uh, perhaps fills a bit of a void uh, in that regard?
1: Look, I like to think that we're we're doing things a bit differently um, to the others. Certainly, um, the institutional investors that um, have come on board with us say, do see something different in us to um, to the others. And I guess time will tell whether that um, continues to fill that or, or will fill that void or not. But um, I think it, our offering is um, is unique in the market, and um, and it re- really resonates with people.
0: Okay, now looking to the. Longer term, um, where do you see Aussie Broadband in say five to ten years? I mean, r- right now its business model was primarily constructed around the resale of NBN services. Um, can you can you see that evolving into new areas
1: over the medium to long term? Look, I can uh, I can see us um, playing uh, much heavier in the uh, the business space. We, we're already doing a lot in that space but we're we're driving new new products and innovation into that space um, we've got aspirations to um, to be uh, at least as big as what I it was when uh, prior to it uh, being sold to TPG so um, we, we think there's still a lot more to be achieved and, and a lot more ground to be to be made in this and uh, and we want to own more infrastructure. It's, it's obviously how our margins are improved and, and we'll continue to, to build and roll it in, out infrastructure that makes sense. Thank you, Phil. No worries. Thanks like lot, Take Cheers. care. Bye bye.
0: Well, let's uh, turn our attention to the exciting world of global Leosat constellations. Uh, if you've been following the sector, you'll know that there's some um, uh, constellations by the name of uh, SpaceX, Telesat, and even Amazon, or uh, Project uh, Cooper, um, all, all proposing constellations of, of hundreds up to thousands of satellites covering the globe. Um, now, there's a new one uh Uh, emerged this week and our correspondent in hong kong tony chan is on the case hi tony
2: hey graham uh so we got a report from um an industry insider out of the u.s uh probably the most reliable source although there's multiple kind of local uh snippets of the news is, is that a chinese company um named gw and it's mostly it's most probably stands for China Great Wall Industry Corp., which is under the government's science uh, satellite space program. Um, and uh, the news is that this company has applied to the ITU, the International Telecommunications Union, uh, for the a- access rights to Spectrum uh, for a new constellation that consists of nearly 13,000 satellites. So something that is comparable to what spacex and and amazon is proposing to put up um you had you wrote a
0: fascinating article for Commerce Day this week about it and uh, part of uh, what, what, one of the things you reported was that this system will actually consist of seven sub-constellations so can you tell us about that and how that will work
2: okay so um i mean it, it's it's important to bear in mind that this is probably just a preliminary proposal and it's actually quite similar to what uh, Starlink is proposing um, as well. I mean, most of, although the the constellation SpaceX constellation is under the the brand Starlink, it actually does consist of multiple constellations at in different uh, orbital planes and in different orbits. Um, as such, um, it's the Chinese uh, proposal seems sounds very similar to it, and what it is, it consists of two main uh, networks, uh, GW-A59 and GW-2, and each of these networks will consist of multiple planes, uh, with each plane having different satellites and even um, satellites at different orbits. So, uh, when you come to, you know, uh, GWA 59, there's three planes and they range from an orbit of 508 kilometers above the Earth, uh, to 600. And each plane has different inclinations and different number of satellites. Um, whereas GW2 has four stand, basically defined planes of, um, 36 satellites, um, in forty eight planes at an orbit of thousand uh, one hundred and forty five kilometers. Uh, but with different inclinations ranging from thirty to sixty degrees. So I mean these networks are architected this way to I guess deliver the optimal coverage over the earth, but it's pretty standard. It's not uh it's not a breakthrough uh, um endeavor.
0: Okay, now um, as I mentioned, there's already uh, um, some pr- pretty uh, uh, muscular companies in this space. You know, Elon Musk, SpaceX, Amazon, OneWeb, who who just got bought out the other day, and, and have some capital. Um, is there room for this player, and and if so, where?
2: The the recent news coming out of the US and I guess globally regarding Leo on low Earth orbit. Uh, domain I mean it's, it's it, it should come as no surprise to anybody that China would actually stake a claim in in this you know emerging kind of orbit as well um, you know what is surprising is, is the scope of the of the proposal which is you know matches anything that the, the Western companies are putting out and as uh, the, the report in the u.s. indicates it, it really shows that China is wants to build a global Leo network Um whether or not they will compete against um, the SpaceX or Amazon, definitely. And um, as, as the commentator indicated, there is definitely room for such a system because, you know, with the recent geopolitical um, divide that's coming up between the U.S. or between actually the West and, and, and perhaps China, uh, and with China's stated ambition to build this belt and rope uh, initiative, of uh, aligning itself with economies, you know, uh, emerging economies along the Eurasian uh, trade route uh, into Africa. I mean, there there is political divide that that this system will certainly serve. Uh, which I mean, the the problem is is when these networks do get rolled out, then the licensing to use uh, to, to use these satellites will. You know, come down to the national level. So, you know, it's, it's probably it's most probable that these the Chinese network will never get the right to to service U.S. customers. You know, in uh, North America, but it also could be true that SpaceX might be uh, deprived of the right to operate within you know, within markets where China has influence.
0: Okay, well, thanks very much for that update, Tony. Will the to wait for the developments on GW with, with great interest into the future?
2: Yes, yeah, I think so. Okay, bye bye.
0: We're with Simon Ducks, the chief editor of Comms Day.
3: Hi there, Graham.
0: Well, Opticom. It seems like everyone wants it. What, what, what? A, um, a, a there's a titanic struggle going on for ownership of it. Tell us more.
3: Yeah, it's uh, one of those things uh, where the bids are, are starting to get uh, higher and higher to almost eye-watering levels now. Um, if you look at uh, the fact. That uh, Opticom is now uh, subject to a bid from Unity Group, which is 694.2 million. And the interesting thing that equates to about $6.67 uh, $6.67 uh, per share for Opticom. And uh, going through this process, uh, the rival bidder, uh, a huge super supergiant, uh, Aware Super, uh, essentially had an improved offer of $6.50. So they've eked it up again. Uh, everyone assumed that Unity would come back in uh, and match the bid. Obviously, they're in a position to do that because of the agreement they have with Opticom. Now all eyes are on aware and what they're going to do next. But, you know, we're looking at a... Um fair and reasonable value, um, which the independent experts gave for Opticom at $4.94 to $5.34 a share. So it's really starting to creep up. And I I guess that goes back to some of the stuff that we've been covering about uh, a lot of the uh, asset co's really scratching around looking for telecom investments in Australia. And uh, in fact, uh, we have written about this a couple of times they're now actually looking overseas uh, because of the dearth of actual opportunities for them to buy here. So I think we're going to see a little bit more of that and I think we have to keep watching to see what's going to happen with AWARE.
0: Okay, well, moving on, um, over at Telstra, there was a, a, a mood of perhaps uh, more humility, frugality <laughs> that we're seeing at Opticom right now. And uh, they, they, they had their AGM this week and uh, Chairman... John Mullen has some very interesting things to say about executive pay.
3: Yes, it was interesting because John was actually almost musing about uh, how things have rolled out. Obviously with uh, every big corporate They have uh, quite intensive processes around their remuneration committees and uh, the meetings, the amount of work that has to go into this. And essentially, he he is saying that maybe some of this stuff should be stripped back and executive remuneration should be much more simple. So, you know, he even talked harking back to the days of when execs used to get a fixed salary and the majority be paid in shares if the company shares went up and uh then the executive would earn more and uh with the shares they go down less now he he did say he was musing about this and uh it would be fair to say that um the exec remuneration package at uh the AGM was pr- pretty much uh voted w- over 95% uh, a- agreed to it and uh it was pointed out uh during the AGM that a, uh, a number of the execs had actually had um, their payments reduced by 10% uh, for the ACCC investigation. Uh, in addition, we had uh, Telstra CEO Andy Penn's total remuneration falling by more than a million following drops in performance rate of pay and eligible share allocations. But uh, I think this idea is going to start resonating in a lot of boards uh, around the, the country.
0: Okay, well, um, moving on to 5G, and it was a big week in that market. Um, at the start of the week, um, Telstra announced that it was its 5G signals were now available to about 40% of Australians from about 2,000 sites, I believe. And then midweek, Apple released four new 5G iPhones, which has seen by many years a catalyst for 5G taking off since Apple was so dominant in Australia. One of the interesting things about 5G is that whenever Telstra tries to get a jump on the market, Optus doesn't let them. Optus always comes back very quickly with something big in its own right, and so they did this week.
3: Yeah, that was a uh, funny one that uh, started a little bit of a debate between the two carriers about speeds but realistically this is uh, something that we covered in uh, August uh, coming to fruition and this is Optus rolling out carrier aggregation across its network uh, doing it in Melbourne and Sydney over 150 sites they're going to increase speeds at those sites by uh, doing that it was in the bands that we uh, said it uh, potentially would be which was uh, 2300 and 3500 megahertz and uh, the other thing that they announced at the same time uh, was also that they're going to unlock 100 megahertz of their uh, 3,500 megahertz mid band spectrum essentially for fixed wireless home broadband. And that's going to be quite interesting because, of course, they've only fairly recently started uh, wholesaling that service as well uh, to MVNO providers. So that's going to give them a little bit more capacity and also. Uh, the Optus are suggesting that that's probably going to increase their speeds by anything up to 60% and they actually told us at the time for the fixed wireless uh, uh, that they were already seeing speeds in recent weeks of more than 300 megabits per second And uh, so you can imagine the increase on the top of that. And uh, you mentioned uh, Telstra's uh, uh, footprint. Uh, Optus also gave an update on their footprint. And now they're saying that it's um, 5G sites are now available to more than 650,000 Australian homes. And that is 920 5G sites. Uh, Thank you very much, Simon. No worries, (laughs) Graeme.
0: We're looking at the week that was with Rowan Pearce. Welcome, Rowan. Hey, Graham. How are you going? I'm good. How are you? Um, I'm good, actually. I'm good. I could do with some more sleep. But, <laughs> Me too.
4: But you know, I'm counting down the days until Christmas. <laughs>
0: okay. Um, A Triple C has been uh, counting internet activity in Australia. Um, and uh, they've had some, uh, had some very interesting findings this week um, in regards to market share. Tell us all about it.
4: Yeah, so this was the, the recent ACCC Internet Activity Report. And the kind of, it really was the figure that leapt out to me, which was that um, uh, overall MVNO uh, mobile services market share grew 13% year-on-year uh, year, to June 2020. While if you look at the retail services from mobile network operators, they were down 3%. And it was particularly stark in the kind of post-paid segment where MVNO services were up 16% compared to just by a 1% increase for mobile network operators. So I think it's um, like one interesting bit of context for me, I guess, is that um, for a while telcos have been reporting a decline in handset revenue and an in- increase in SIM-only plans, which I think when you combine that with the fact that more households are kind of feeling the pinch because of the economic crisis we're in, I think it means that, you know, we might be seeing a or more uh, a ongoing shift to, towards MBNO services because people are so budget conscious at the moment. I think actually there was a couple other interesting things in the report. One was um, uh, NBN downloads were up 36% year-on-year, which is not a huge surprise given the impact of uh, covid um, and that means that average monthly downloads were 322 gigabytes. And I was actually looking at an old story of mine, which was before the March 2015 launch of Netflix, when uh, average downloads were 73 gigabytes a month. And then uh, Netflix launched and downloads grew 15 gigabytes in a month. And obviously it hasn't really let up since then. Okay. And uh, on, on such matters, uh, NBN
0: itself has been pretty busy in the last few days. Um, and in particular, they've introduced a interesting marketing plan for their RSPs designed to encourage them to lift their customers off entry-level 12 megabit services onto higher speed tiers.
4: Yeah, so it's basically a a six-month rebate to really help um, get people off the twelve megabit tier. I think there's like two bits of context. Like one is obviously the initial kind of rollout of um, the NBN is um, pretty much done and dusted, and so now NBN's looking at you know how do you actually actually maximise the revenue from um, those kind of on-net households and businesses. And I, I guess the other, the other bit of context is that, uh, you know, looming over everything at the moment is that in November, the 40% CBC uplift is being withdrawal, uh, withdrawn, which means obviously kind of a bit of pain for um, RSPs, and NBN's probably interested in, like, minimising that pain as much as possible. I think, though, um, one thing actually... One thing that was interesting in the Internet Activity Report that I didn't mention was the fact that uh, if you look at 12 megabit services they've actually been downloading on average more than 25 megabit services on the NBN. Um, and actually the, the other thing that kind of occurred to me too, was that um, which I, which I didn't mention is that the, the 12 megabit product has never been super popular with NBN as far as I've been able to tell. And I remember oh, you'd remember too, um, Bill Morrow back in 2017 who said it was never, you know, it was never designed for broadband. It was really just a kind of a voice service with the ability to maybe check your email uh, every so often and, and, Actually, the, the other thing is, too, that obviously it's probably been the source of a kind of a bit of a, a bit of what you might call regulatory angst, because it's been very heavily scrutinised by the ACCC as well.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that, um, because uh, this week, obviously, um, the ACCC gave a big set-beats speech um, to the Australian Financial Review Infrastructure Summit, where they... Uh, Defended very strongly their, their approach to regulation in the market, and in particular, their emphasis on, on regulating 12 megabits um, to, to get more CBC inclusions in it and make it more of a broadband product. And of course, NBN's not terribly happy about that, and as we also discovered this week, neither is the government,
3: mm. which uh,
0: issued a statement of expectations, uh, uh, an unprecedented one, I might add, um, to the ACCC to, to say, to Look, can you stop setting prices? Uh, or suggesting prices based on your regulatory whims but actually using proper accounting constructs to do so so uh, that was an interesting development but on on this slide not only is NBN offering a a, a rebate plan um, for RSPs but they're they're also offering uh, cold hard cash to help them uh, (laughs) with with marketing as well aren't they
4: yeah so it's the uh, it's what's called the base development program and as it kind of As it basically says, it's really developing, like helping RSPs to develop the kind of like revenue from their existing customer base as opposed to kind of like marketing to gain more customers. So it's not a huge amount of money on offer. It's up to $200,000 per RSP in a kind of co-funding model for, um, I guess, initiatives across like four key categories, which can include things like, you know, just just producing marketing material for your existing customer base, but also things like, you know, modeling, uh, propensity modeling so you can tell if a customer is likely to be able to be upsold to a, uh, faster, um, a faster service. So it's not a huge amount of cash, but I guess given some of the pressure that telcos are um, under at the moment, I think it's probably like anything is probably welcome, really.
0: You take it where you can get it. <laughs> On that note, Rowan, thank you so much for joining us today. Cheers. Well, that's it for Comms Day Live this week. Um, don't forget that we've got the Comms Day Summit taking place at the Fullerton Hotel in Sydney on October twenty-six and twenty-seven. Around thirty speakers from NBN, Telstra, Optus, TPG, Liz- Focus. The list goes on and on. Uh, it's, it's a great lineup. Check it out at www.commsday.com. Until next week, have a good time. God believed he was God and he got everyone to believe.